Dear Christian friends, Jesus, the master storyteller, has a way of drawing us in to his parable today. He introduces his parable with this question, what do you think? Which is his way of drawing the listeners, the audience, the hearers, and you and me today, into what he's about to say. He's asking us permission. He's inviting us into the story. And I'm sure it obviously worked very well in his day and age. Otherwise, he wouldn't have started with that question. But we know that it works well in our day and age. Why? Because we don't even need to be asked to share our opinion. The, the fact of the matter is today, we're going to give our opinion whether you ask for it or not. So Jesus gives us permission to give our opinion and our thought on the matter by asking that first question, what do you think? Well, let me go first. What do I think? Well, there are a few things that get under my skin more than a defiant child saying no to mom or dad. And maybe at this point it shouldn't be so surprising because I've got four kids of my own. I was a kid once. Some would say maybe still am. But the fact is that kids have a sinful nature and they need to be trained and, and raised. So really, more of the issue is Probably, how do the parents respond when a child defiantly says no when asked or told to do something? Are mom or dad going to, are they going to negotiate? Are they going to plead? Are they going to keep asking again and again until something changes? Or are they going to take the opportunity to correct the child and say, that's not how we talk to grown-ups? Well, if you are waiting for the reaction, if you want to know how the father felt, when the son defiantly said, no, I'm not going to do what you asked me, don't hold your breath because we're not told in this parable. No, in fact, the way that we're introduced to the first son in the parable is this. We're simply told there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. And that's it. No more details from the first son, no reaction or response from the father. He just continues on, and Jesus does as well, with the parable as he explains to us then his interaction with the second son. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. The end. Three verses, three characters, that's the end of, of Jesus' whole parable. There aren't a lot of other details that are given to us. And sometimes, admittedly, Jesus does that in different parables. He'll, he'll go on and have lots of comparisons, lots of other descriptions. But in this, very short, very sweet. And the upside to that, the advantage is that we aren't left trying to connect all the dots and wonder what every little detail might possibly stand for. And the other advantage in this short and sweet parable is that it creates a sense of urgency, this nagging desire to say, okay, if this is it, these two sons, we want to know who are they representing in Jesus' parable. And for the answer to that question, Jesus turns to his, his listeners. And we're told earlier in, in this section of, of Matthew's gospel that Jesus was talking to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Those individuals had come to Jesus and approached him in the temple courts. This is during Holy Week as Jesus was teaching. And they, they questioned his authority. Who are you to be here teaching? 
Who called you to do this? By what authority are you speaking? These are the individuals that Jesus addresses this parable to and then invites them to also come to the conclusion of who is represented by the sons in the parable. So Matthew continues to record for us Jesus asking and perhaps um, explaining to the individuals listening to him not the favorable response they were hoping for. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, or truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So Jesus clearly identifies Who is represented by the first son in the parable? It's the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the the people that these teachers of the law and the chief priests despised. Jesus says they're entering the kingdom of, of God ahead of you. We don't have to really guess how this sat with Jesus' hearers because we know throughout the Gospels their interactions with Jesus Uh, when he pointed uh, to them so clearly and so convincingly and convicted them, it didn't sit well. How does it sit with us today to, to hear Jesus tell this parable? The last two Sundays, the conclusion of our previous series and the beginning of this series on the parables of Jesus one Sunday was about forgiveness and, and how the church is really all about forgiving everyone, not conditionally, but forgiving everyone across the board just as we have been forgiven. And then the following Sunday, last Sunday, was all about grace, which also is for everyone. And we love that storyline. We love that the church and, and that God's grace and forgiveness are for everyone. It, it's, it plays out so well. But then when we stop and we consider the reality of that, that that means that that, that includes first sons that maybe don't sit so well with us, the non church-going type folks, that might be a little harder for us to swallow. So who's represented today? Basically, think of the the types of people that, that make you cringe more than anybody else, and potentially they are the ones that are represented by that first son in the parable. It might be, for example, that first son could be the atheist, hardened atheist his whole life who was very vocal and adamant and aggressively attacking Christianity only later in his life to succumb to the very gospel that he had rejected for so long and to finally know the peace of seeing Jesus as his Savior. The first son could represent those sinners who sin the sins that are are really, really don't sit well with us and, and get under our skin, only to repent of them and also receive Jesus' forgiveness could be the individual who is an analyst who sits as far uh, opposed to your views on politics, as radical as you could ever imagine, only to find out that he too is or becomes a follower of Jesus. Or you know, when we hear the stories of of the criminal in, in prison who has this, I found Jesus moment while serving his sentence, and we roll our eyes, but it could as well be that individual who genuinely sees Jesus as his or her savior. What maybe is is also worth noticing about these people as we try to classify who might be described by that first son in the parable today is is to reflect on Jesus' life and his ministry and, and know this, 
that Jesus actually was very deliberate and intentional about spending his time with first sons. With the people that, that we might be inclined to write off to say that, that church isn't for them. They're, they're not the church-going type. They're the kind that really have no business hanging out with Jesus. And yet Jesus is the one that intentionally spent time with them. Not accidentally. Not because they caught up to him one way or another and he had no choice. But, but he did have the choice. And he chose to spend it with the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And, and as many in the world saw in that time, the scum of society. Those looked down upon. And Jesus' reason for spending so much time with the first sons was that he knew that they had said, no, I won't, to the Father for so much of their lives. But he patiently taught them and preached to them. He patiently pointed them to grace and forgiveness in hopes that, like the first son in the parable, they would change their mind and they would come to know their Father. And even more shocking than the fact that Jesus spent time with those individuals is when we notice how Jesus described where and how the prostitutes and tax collectors were entering the kingdom of God. Notice as he explained to the teachers of law and the chief priests, as I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. So not only are these non-church-going type folks allowed into heaven, but, but he says they're actually entering ahead of you. And that just, that just doesn't make any sense. We'd expect the good people, the ones who have their act together, not the ones who, who are addicted and who have a checkered past and, and who are shady and, and have nothing but regret and poor choices behind them. Those aren't the types of people that are supposed to be allowed in heaven. And if, if we find ourselves thinking that, that, that we're opposed to those being the ones who are first in line. Maybe we need the, the reminder of the story about the pastor who went to visit a, a delinquent, a wayward member who was on his deathbed. And he wanted to assure that member that it wasn't too late, that the promise of forgiveness and eternal life was still his if he simply repented and placed his faith in Jesus. And when a different upstanding in his own mind, of course, member of the congregation heard that the pastor had done this, he was incredulous. He couldn't believe that the pastor would go to this, this non-active member who was on the roll for years and years and years, but had never showed up, never participated, never gave a dime, didn't do anything. And the pastor would go and, and give him the assurance of forgiveness and eternal life. And the upstanding man, man, when he heard that the pastor had done this, he said to him, Pastor, if that's true that you went and told him that, boy, I, I don't think I want to be in heaven if there's going to be people like that there. To that, the pastor replied, don't worry because if that's actually how you feel about the matter and about that individual, then you don't have to be concerned about spending any time in heaven with him. See, this parable just leaves us a little bit unsettled because we can relate to that reaction. On the, the one hand, there's that part of us that says, these types of people, they don't live, they don't speak, they don't do the things that you're supposed to do that church people do, and yet they're entering in heaven. So we don't want to identify with them because we don't want that kind of past or reputation, and yet they're first in heaven. So we're conflicted, and, and where does that leave us? If we don't want to identify with the first son, there's there's the other son in the parable as well. But I'm not sure that we want to too readily identify with that son 
either. I mean, it, it sounds good on the surface. He says the right thing and even does it in a polite manner. And undoubtedly, there were perhaps, uh, as we apply it to really the class that Jesus is talking about, a different social circle, the, the Pharisees, they looked the part of the church-going folks. They said the right things. They did what externally we were supposed to do, right? They were the, the church-going folks of the day. And yet... For Jesus to say to them that it's the other son who's entering the kingdom of God before you it makes us very wary, doesn't it? In fact, that warning that Jesus gives in this parable makes us think uh, of words that Jesus spoke earlier in, Ma in Matthew's gospel. Chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus warns, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Surely the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and priests to whom Jesus was speaking, they were saying, Lord, Lord, by their outward actions and wanted everybody else to know. And yet this was, as Jesus is pointing out, the third time that they were being called to repentance. He says, listen, when John the Baptist came and he preached a message of repentance, you ignored it. That's one. And then the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they repented, they believed in John's message, and still you didn't, that's two, and now I'm here sharing this parable with you as a third call to repentance. The bigger question, though, as far as how these individuals responded to Jesus is, is where does it leave us? Where does, does this parable connect and, and resonate with us? I, I think you'd agree with me the first son would be easier in life today to spot, right? If you look at biblical examples, that might be Saul, who gave his life to persecuting the church, who then later on, like the first son, changed his mind and, and was converted, repented, and became Paul. The thief on the cross, his whole life uh, an unbeliever, and yet at that last moment, the first son I will not, but then repented and by faith believed in Jesus as the Father longed for. Those ones are, are easy to spot, the, the ones with a checkered past, as we mentioned, the ones that, that, that seem to be so opposed and the non-church-going types. Well, if those are easy to identify, who would be the modern-day equivalent of the second son? Where would you expect to see him today? Wouldn't it be in church, in Bible class, maybe even in a position of leadership, doing all of the things that it looks like we're supposed to be doing, saying externally through his actions, yes, Father, look, I will do what you want. And yet, there's no faith that is backing all of those actions and those words. There is no heartfelt confidence and trust in Jesus as Savior. There is simply a, a connection to an organization. There is simply carrying out responsibility or, or, or duty or fulfilling some obligation, but no faith behind it. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with, with hope, believe it or not, because you notice very carefully how Jesus chose to word the parable. Notice that he said about the first son when he's addressing the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, the chief priests, he says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. 
So one, the first son was allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. They came to faith, believed and, and received the gift of, of life and salvation through the forgiveness of sins. But ahead of you also implies there's room to follow. There's still space. The door is still cracked open for you as well if you repent. If you turn from your ways and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. How can we have that kind of hope? Because somebody once pointed out in this parable that while we focus our attention on the two sons, the one who said, I, I won't, but changed his mind and did, and the son who says, I will, but, but never followed through, there is actually this unmentioned third son. There's a third son who says, yes, sir, yes, father, I will, and who actually did everything that was expected of him. And that son, of course, is Jesus. Jesus, who came to this world, born on, on Christmas as a child, an infant, and, and through his whole life, carried out willingly, patiently, with dedication and faithfulness, everything the father asked him to do. He worked in the vineyard. He served his father with perfect obedience. And his was a genuine righteousness. He actually did everything that was right in thought, word, and action. And it's because of that third son that any of the rest of us have the opportunity to be called sons and daughters as well. But not just through his perfect obedience and his doing what the father called him to do, but this third son did something remarkable. He paid a, a price that, that none of us on our best day could come close to paying. He paid the price of his own life. By his blood, we have been, by God's grace, adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Without his sacrifice, there was no payment for sins. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no door open to heaven and eternal life. But it's specifically because of this third son through Jesus that we have hope. So, You've maybe heard the expression, it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish. And this parable kind of illustrates that, doesn't it? No matter what your checkered past was, if you identify as the first son, that means that it's never too late. If you've been saying, I will not to the Father, to, to Jesus, to Christianity and your faith through your whole life, it's not too late to change your mind and, and turn to God who holds out life and salvation. And if you're, on the other hand, the second son that, that thought you had it made in the shade, that you thought you were doing due diligence and carrying out everything that was required, but, but stopped and realized that your heart was empty and void of any genuine true faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, it's, it's not too late to recognize that and repent as well. Whichever son you are, the difference is made by whether or not we cling to the third son, to Jesus. And that is the hope, the prayer that take away today from this parable, that no matter how we identify, we, we realize that through that third son, through Jesus, our Savior, we have every reason to live in faith over fear, peace over panic, hope over helplessness. And that third son may grant it. Amen.